Let's get scratching. We got an explosive broadcast coming to you. Listen up. Sega games, just keep playing them. Sega! We're back. It's the Sega Bit Swing Report Show. Get ready for Sega interviews and news with George and Barry. Hello and welcome to episode 84 of the Segabit Swing and Report Show. I'm Barry. With me is George. Hello, everyone. And joining us, we have Ken from Sega 16. Uh, Ken, hello and welcome. Hello. How are you guys feeling? How's everybody? Good, good. Um, so you you are the founder, the creator of Sega 16. Do you want to... Um, well, George has his own questions too, but... Um, I, I think we'd like to hear maybe how you uh, got started in the fan community, your early days, uh, if you just wanted to tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, well, it was back in about 2003. Uh, I'd done some writing for a couple of other sites, and I had done some writing freelance for a couple of magazines, but I wanted to do something concrete, something that I could control. And I was deciding between either a Turbo Graphics website or Sega Sega Genesis website, but my love of the Sega Genesis won out completely. So uh, I started. I had no HTML skills at all, and uh, I just figured if I could make up for my horrible coding skills with good content, that maybe people would uh, let that slide. <laughs> and um, it's been building up ever since for the last eleven and a half years. Oh, so cool. you said uh, Turbo Graphics 16? Yeah. You like the Turbo yeah. Graphics 16? Oh yeah, I love it. But and back then there were no real websites that did what I wanted to do. The I'd say, but the Sega Genesis had even fewer sites. There were a couple of sites with tricks or codes, but nothing really comprehensive. So that's what really made me uh, go in that direction. So uh, can you tell us about the first time you kind of uh, played a Sega game and you decided that you really liked this company and these style of games? Well. That goes back to, uh, honestly, that goes back to Christmas Eve, 1986. And my dad took me on Christmas Eve to get uh, an NES on Christmas Eve. Epic dad fail. Yeah. And we went to, like, ten different stores. We we started at Play World. Back then it was Play World, Child World, Boys R Us. We went to all those stores. We went to KB, we went to Service Merchandise, all these stores, and there were no no NES consoles. Uh, people were even fighting to to try and get the display unit that was behind glass. But everywhere we went, I saw Atari 2600 Juniors and some Master Systems. And we went back to the first store we went to, the Play World, and my dad said, well, you can have an Atari 2600 Junior and 10 games, since the games are really cheap. Or you can have a master system with one game. And I was looking at the two, and I had the boxes there, and I'm thinking, man, 10, 10 games. You know, I love the Atari 2600, 10 games. But I looked at the master system, I looked at the graphics, and it's like, wow, this is, this is awesome. And then my brother leaned over and said, if you take the master system, I'll buy another game. So that's where I picked the master system and uh, fell in love with it instantly. And I was... 13 years old, and I had around 40-something games because my brother kept buying as many games as I did. What's um, some of your favorite uh, Master System games? Uh, well, I love Golvelius, Valley of Doom. Oh, yeah. Um, that guy, I love that game. Uh, Kung Fu Kid, uh, Wonder Boy uh, 3, Dragon's Trap. I love that game. Um, I also love the Zillion games. Those games, especially Part 2. Part 2 is pretty underrated, I think. Triformation. Yep. Part two almost reminds me of like a modern uh, uh, endless runner, the way it plays, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That game, I mean, I can understand that people might have been turned off a bit because it was so different from the first, but that doesn't make it a bad game. Absolutely. And and, uh, how did you get a Sega? Because, I mean, your site is focused on the 16 bit era of uh, Sega. When did you get a Sega Genesis? Uh, Was it called a Sega Genesis? Some people have the Mega Drive. Yeah, no, no. I um, I lived in the states, so I got. Well, I, actually, I was in Puerto Rico at the time, which is still uh, U.S. territory, so it was Sega Genesis. And um, I was, I wanted to get a Turbo Graphics 16, and 
and it was around June of 1990, and my birthday is in August, so I'm at my friend's house, and he's a real, I mean, he was, we were Master System fans, and he got a Genesis at launch, and he's trying to convince me to get a Genesis, and he puts in Altered Beast, and he puts in uh, Alex Kidd, and he puts in Golden Axe, and I'm like, man, these games are awesome, and then he put in Rambo 3, and I saw the first boss battle, and I saw that behind the back view, and that just blew me away, and I was like, oh, that's it, I'm getting a Sega Genesis. And I, you, I ended up. Uh huh. I was gonna say, did you regret it? No, no, never, <laughs> not at all. We we had a, an agreement since we were all really poor high school kids. Our agreement was that none of us would buy the same game twice. If I bought a game, like if I bought Revenge of Shinobi, no one else in our group bought Revenge of Shinobi, and that way we'd each buy different games and we could lend them out to each other. And we'd all get to play all the games. But since I was the only schlob who didn't have a Genesis. The only game that was left that no one had bought was World Championship Soccer. So I took one for the team and I bought that one. But I ended up playing it all the way through, uh, the entire tournament, all the way through. I had that Altered Beast, and my friend who introduced me to Rambo 3, his brother, gave me money to buy him a game. And so I, I did it under the condition that I could open it and play it. And uh, I got him super hang-on. So I spent that my entire birthday. My dad went to work. And he said, there's food in the fridge, and you got your Sega Genesis, you're good. And I just woke up like at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I was, he came home at 6 o'clock at night, and I was still playing. I um, just played all day. So on the Genesis, what was your favorite games on there? Well, my favorite Genesis game of all time is Castle of Illusion, hands down. Do you play the remake? So, yeah, yeah. So what do you think about yeah. that one? Um, I think they did a, as good a job as you can expect nowadays. It isn't a question of the technology being there. It's the same thing happened, I think, with Rocket Knight. Um, yeah. It's not there's not enough technology. It's how much of a budget these teams get, you know, and they do the best they can with the budget they have. I think that there were there could have been graphical improvements to Castle of Illusion and Rocket Knight, but they didn't have the budget. So, I mean, you in, in contrast, I look at what uh, M. Two is doing with the Sega 3D Classics, and, yeah. and it's true that they're not creating games from the ground up, but like they're just going all out with the options and, and settings and everything. Uh, that that you can tell that they kind of have more of a free hand to uh, make the experience as great as possible. And I, I had that feeling with Castle of Illusion with the remake that that they would have done so much more if they had probably had a bigger budget. But it was a good, pretty. I mean. For, for what it is, it's a really, really good game. But that's my favorite, hands down, hands down, my favorite Genesis game. But there are just so many. I mean, Shining in the Darkness, I love. Uh, Revenge of Shinobi. Um, Starflight. God, I love Starflight. I could play that game. And now that I have an EverDrive and I don't have to worry about my save getting wiped, I play <laughs> oh, that one. Uh, Same thing with Landstalker and the, the Wonder Boy games. I mean, there's nothing better with an EverDrive now of not having to get killed by a boss and start all the way back at town. Um, uh, Ken, I'm curious. <laughs> what is your least favorite Sega game? Genesis game. My least favorite Sega Genesis game? Oh. You can't choose. You can't choose. It's like choosing your own kid, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, which one of your children do you love the least? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, gee. I'm totally looking around on the shelf here. I honestly... Can't think of a game that I could that I openly hate, um, like that I would never own under any circumstances. I mean, I can think of a couple of games that I would maybe play once or twice and never play again. But I'd have to say that the game that unfortunately has the the roughest memory, the worst memory in my mind, is uh, NFL '94 with Joe, starring Joe Montana. And that was not necessarily because of the game; that was because of the experience that. Uh, went with it the first time I played it, and uh, that was I w uh, a friend of mine had it, and he wanted to trade me the game for another game. So I said, "Let's go to my house and try it out." And we went home, we went to my house, and we popped it in, and I started playing it. And it that those you know, Joe Montana games have kind of a high learning curve if you've never been in, you never played them before. And um, I was just getting my ass handed to me left and right, and I got so mad that I shut off the Genesis, ripped off the cartridge, and slammed it against the ground, and it <laughs> shattered into a thousand pieces. And my friend was just—he had this completely horrified look, like, "What the hell, man? That's my game!" You know. 
I ended up having to give him the game he wanted, and I got nothing in return except for the satisfaction of sweeping up Joe Montana. But I guess <laughs> that's uh, the the game that that I have the worst memory of. But I can't think of a game that I hate. Okay, I was just curious. <laughs> um, so now that we're talking, let's talk about the book you uh, announced. Uh, how long have you been sure. kicking kicking this idea of doing a Sega of America, I guess, history book? Well, um, I've probably been contemplating writing this book for about four or five years. And but, when, made you, when made you finally go and uh, this start writing it? Well... I was I've been writing for Sega 16, basically doing that kind of research for Sega 16 for 11 and a half years. But at the time, it's been about 10 years. I decided that um, it was time to at least look into how to get the book done. But the way the book came about was actually just pure chance. Um, I was at my every year I go to my brother's house in Atlanta. We go to Dragon Con together, and uh, the the publisher McFarland has a booth there. And on the last day of the convention, we were going to go to the Vendor Smart because my brother hadn't gone yet. And I wanted to go to the second floor because the first floor is all cosplay accessories. And the McFarland booth was on the first floor. My brother insisted. He kept insisting, insisting he wanted to go to the first floor. So I relented and said, okay, fine, let's go. And we go to the booth, and we're looking around, and we're talking to the representative. And the representative asks, um, you know, if we have any type of books that we like that we would like to see published. And I just pitched an idea. I would like to see more books on the history of video game companies. And she said, do you have any one in particular? I said, well, I have a website where I write about Sega of America, and I explained the website to her. And she handed me a proposal submission form. I said, fill this out, and I'll pass it on to the editor. We have one who's a, a gamer, and maybe she'll like it. So I filled out the proposal form, which is a, like a one, two-paragraph um, summary of what, the, what my idea about the book would be. And about two weeks later, I got an email from the editor that uh, they liked it. They wanted a sample chapter and an outline. And I submitted that. And by then, I had uh, written the first chapter, so I figured whether they want it or not, I'm going to write the book. I'll self-publish yeah. if I have to. But they accepted it. So That's good. And now you, you're calling the book Achieving the Next Level, the, his, uh, the History of, Se of American Sega Games. And, well, well, uh, the, the, title, the title's changed, actually. Oh, okay, what's now the title? Called, it's called Playing at the Next Level, A History of American Savings. That's pretty good. So how long did it take you to try to come up with these titles? Because, like, I go crazy when I try to come up with titles for anything. Like, I, I contemplated so long. So I just want to know how long it took you to come up with a name for the book. Oh, I think I was probably about halfway through the book when I finally came up with uh, – I just saved it as, like uh, – um, at first, I had it as a sample chapter, and then when I was like on chapter eight, I was like, "Well, maybe I should change the, what you know, the document title." And I'm thinking, "What do I, what do I call it? What do I call it?" And I thought of achieving the next level. I mean, um, welcome to the next level, uh, the Sega marketing slogan. I was like, "Well, this is the story of how the how Sega of America's game development uh, division was created. So I'll just call it achieving the next level." But uh, so, the publisher decided that uh, sounds that sounds a little bit too much like a like a career self help book. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> they okay. went with playing. But at I least the next true. level part is there. Yeah, that's true. I was gonna say, um, you said you you guys interviewed or you interviewed over 50 game developers from Sega, ranging from the 80s to the early 2000s. That's kind of like a. Well, go on. Sorry. Uh huh. I was gonna say no, that's no, kind no, of like no, a no, long no. span. That's kind of like a long span of time, you know. So, which developers are you? Is the book gonna focus more on? Well, I, I ended up interviewing about a hundred people overall, and most of those are game developers. Um, going all the way back from uh, Monopoly on the Master System to Geist Force on the Dreamcast, which was was never uh, officially released. Yeah. And uh, but I would say that. There isn't one particular developer, one particular studio um, that I focused on. Um, I tried to pick games that were the most influential in Sega's uh, in Sega's business, or the most successful, or the most popular. 
And um, so there are sometimes there are studios that overlap, but uh, there wasn't really a focus on a particular studio. It turns out there are people like, for example, Ed Nunziata appears a lot more in the book than I had anticipated, but it's just that he was involved with so many games. Yeah. So, but what, the, I, what I'm happy with with the way the book turned out is that there isn't one, one there isn't anyone who's particularly the star. It's like there are people in the development division at, at Sega, at the corporate level, at the producer level, and then the developers themselves, the designers, the programmers, the artists, and they they have uh, a chance to shine um, individually. I like the fact that there isn't, you know, that that I got to to, to discuss as broad a group of people as possible. Hmm. So uh, you said that the the, the book was going to contain about 500 pages in the end, right? Like, or you're, you're aiming for? I think the book, I think the like the industry standard is about 250 words per page, and if it keeps to that rule, it's going to be about 560 pages. Okay, and uh, what type of book is it going to be like the layout? Is it going to be like a coffee table book because we had that with kind of like the Mega Drive Collective Works? Or is it going to be more of a chapter like with essays, with interviews? Or like how are you planning on doing your book? Like, It's going to be more of a uh, coffee table book. Like if you've read uh, The Ultimate History of Video Games. Yeah. By Stephen Ken, it's, it's in, in more like that form. Okay. Um, you said that you also talked to every single uh, American president of Sega from the building to the end of the Dreamcast? Yeah, from Bruce Lowry and, to Peter Moore. Wow. So uh, who is the most interesting one to interview? And how do you conduct the interviews, actually? I'm actually so curious about that. Um, well, the interesting is every single president that I interviewed, those interviews were done by phone. Okay. Um, I'd spoken to Tom Kalinske a couple of times before. He's always really friendly and really uh, helpful. And Michael Katz as well. Michael Katz is always uh, willing to, to help out in any article or anything that, that, um, that I ask him any questions for. But I had never spoken to Bruce Lowry before. Um, and I actually got in touch with him through someone else. And I'd never spoken to Bernie Stoller. I never even thought that I would be able to speak to Bernie Stoller because I'd heard <laughs> that, uh, that he's not the most... Uh, you know, open to like fan site interviews and things like that. So I thought that was a pipe dream. And uh, Peter Moore actually came about through somebody else as well. And um, but Peter Moore, I would have to say, um, surprised me because I thought you know that the other guys they're out of the most of them are out of the video game business already. Lowry's out, Katz is out, Kolinsky's out. Um, Solar is not as in as he as he once was. But Peter Moore is still there. You know, he's still in, in EA. So, uh, but he was, we did the interview over Skype, and he was extremely friendly, answered my emails very, very quickly. I mean, just a great guy. Uh, yeah, uh, I've been hearing that uh, he still gets uh, stuff about his uh, venture at Sega. Now he's at EA. Um, so yeah. why did you focus on Sega of America instead of, like, maybe something like Sega Japan in in-house developers? Well, I would absolutely love to make this like a trilogy of books and have Sega of America, Sega of Europe, and Sega of Japan. The problem with Sega of Japan, and this is the discussion uh, uh, that goes on. I mean, if you look at like, I'm sure at Sega forums across the internet, there's, yes. this, there's this discussion. Um, and it's not that, you know, I don't want, I only want to focus on the American. The thing is, is that I can go and I can Google a guy's name from Sega of America and I can email him and he'll like, sure, okay. Um, tell me your question. Yeah. But it's very, very difficult to get a hold of people from Sega Japan who actually want to talk. I mean, if you uh, recall the experiences that Blake Harris had, he got to speak to Hayao Nakayama, but it was uh, under the condition that it was all off the record. You know? That's, yeah. that's okay, you get to say you spoke to Hayao Nakayama, you know, which is a wonderful thing for a Sega fan, but you can't use any of it officially. So... Um, it's it's a it's not and it's not a thing of them you know um, like I personally don't believe that there's this massive conspiracy from former Sega of America personnel <laughs> to make Japan look bad 20 years after the fact and I don't really think that there's this uh, you know the secret society of Japanese Sega alumni that have all taken blood oaths never to speak a word of their time at the company 
You know, yeah, but sure. I just tell think that to it, half it, our forum members. <laughs> yeah, no, on Sega sixteen we have the same thing. Yeah, I, you, I think it's a difference in corporate culture, you know, and 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 culture overall that you just don't speak ill or you don't just air laundry of a former employer in public. And where in the United States, once you quit a job, you can say whatever you want and you're not beholden to that guy anymore, you know. So I think that's just differences. Uh, Ken, I was curious. Um, when we spoke with uh, Blake J. Harris, and also even when we were talking with Tom Kalinske, I had this sort of vibe that maybe maybe about five years ago, a lot of these um, kind of veterans of the video game industry felt like what they did wasn't of, I guess, historic importance to the point where it's like, why are you writing a book about this? Why are you interviewing mm -hmm. me about this? Do you Did you get that vibe from a lot of these developers and, um, I guess, staff? Or do you feel like they're kind of the industry and especially veterans of the industry are kind of coming around to the fact that people are interested about the history of video games. I I did get a few people who um, were absolutely amazed that I was even interested in talking to them about this. I had a couple of people flat out decline because they told me that to them it was just another job and they didn't see any, any relevance to it. But the overwhelming majority of people I spoke to were just supportive, completely supportive. They were amazed. They were enthusiastic. They were flattered. You know, I'm like, somebody comes up out of the room and says, hey, I'm writing a book about stuff you did 20 years ago. You want to talk about it? You know? They're, they're, they're very, very, very cooperative. That was the overwhelming majority of my experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I just, I'm, I'm a big fan of, like, classic films from the 20s and 30s and when I read about the histories of those, it, it feels like when you're in the 40s and 50s, people started to, um, just like we're doing now with video games, they were approaching these people, and, you know, there was either this this attitude of, why are we even talking about my film career, or it was like, wow, you want to talk about it? Yeah, sure, let me open up. Um, did, so did you ever have any opportunities to um, dig around in any sort of, uh, or work with any... Um, I guess old print materials or files or anything like that. Any archives? Oh yeah, I got to see uh, design documents. Um, I got to see schematics, uh, uh, design maps, um, and uh, a lot of uh, images. The book has uh, quite a few images that haven't been published before. I wasn't able to get as many images as I would have liked because uh, I guess developers back then were too busy trying to meet their milestones and deadlines and to take pictures just in case some nerd 20 years down the road wants to document it. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. but I did get to see uh, design documents and uh, maps and concept uh, presentations uh, for things that uh, haven't been shown before. Um, that's, quite a, that's the thing that... that, that made me uh, most happy about the book is that there is a lot of stuff there that has never been discussed before. A lot of stuff that that um, the, that has been basically um, repeated over and over again on the internet, you know, um, as this happened this way or this person made this game, and it turns out that that's completely false. So being able to get to the bottom of those uh, types of mysteries really, really made me happy that I was able to, to, to get the full story in a lot of these games. And it wasn't because they were hidden and they were trying to keep them from going public. It's, it's just that nobody asked the right people or uh, nobody asked at all. You know, right. I remember when I first interviewed Tom Kolinsky in 2006, the first question I asked him was, how come he hadn't done any interviews about his time at Sega before then? And his answer was, nobody asked me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is is there any sort of, and I mean, you don't need to, you don't need to tell us what it is, but is there any sort of like uh, information you found that you're just dying to get out to the public now with the book? Is there some sort of big reveal uh, historically that you just, you're, you know, you're staying quiet on, but you're uh, very excited to include in the book? Oh yes, several. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, if I think about it, I start to get trembling because there's just so much stuff there that I would just love to be out so people can start talking about it already. Um, and I can give you an example like um, the complete story of what happened between Sega and Tonka. Okay, that's like not really knowing. I mean, yeah. Well, I can tell you that just about 
most of the information you've seen out there about what happened between the two companies is completely wrong. Interesting. He's hyping the book. And I think Barry now wants to read it. I was going to say, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, is there anybody that you wanted to interview really badly and you couldn't get an interview for some reason? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there were a bunch of people. Um, Ed Anunziata, specifically, um, was someone that I wanted to interview, but he was kind of swamped. So um, he gave me his blessing, and um, I t spoke to a lot of people who were close to him, but I wasn't able to actually speak to him. And I oh. would say, who else? At Sega of America, uh, well, I got to speak to just about everybody that I needed to speak to in Sega of America. But the, the founder of Novatrade, of Appaloosa Interactive, yeah. I was never able to get in contact with him. That's the, the, the one. I was able to find the information I needed from other sources, but I wanted to speak. Like every, For every developer, I tried to speak to the person who founded the company, and um, I was never able to speak to him. I think Stephen Friedman is his name. I was never able to speak to him. So those are the two that stand out for me the most. Hmm. But um, I spoke to, to um, except for those two cases, I spoke to the producers or the founders of the company for just about every other developer. Um, and the, the book covers around 40 games in total. It's a lot of, uh, a lot of covering for 500 pages. I was going to say, um, are you going to have the interview set up like... Uh, as a question interview, or is it going to be part of a of a narrative in the story? I guess, or why you're explaining it? It's going to be a a narrative. If you've read any of the behind the design or the developer den articles that I've done on Sega 16, yeah, it's exactly exactly that form. Okay, and uh, you're not going to be using any old articles from the site on on the book. Well, actually, there are about five articles from Sega 16 that I used, but that have been just so expanded and uh, revised that the articles on the side are practically obsolete now, but I can't change them until the book's out. Okay. Um, uh, the Sega Technical Institute, that article was is about four times the length as it, uh, that it was then. I spoke to everyone I spoke to back then. Uh, Roger Hector, Mark Cerny, a whole bunch of people, and about a half dozen more people. Uh, the Joe Montana article, uh, Behind Design Joe Montana, that article has been expanded incredibly and revised. Uh, the article in the Sega Channel, instead of just being a, a kind of like a, a look back on the Sega Channel, uh, it was turned into the complete history of how the Sega Channel was formed and all the way through when it was discontinued. Uh, so, and the Sega Sports article I wrote, that was actually uh, broken up and served as the basis for six separate chapters. So, there, there's a lot, a lot of new information there. But I can't update those chapters until the book is out. And uh, my other question was, like, usually when people do uh, a Sega retrospect, I guess, or a book, like a history book, they usually always skip the Sega Saturn. Is there going to be some lengthy uh, reading on the Sega Saturn, or is that going to be kind of glossed over? No, the, the Sega Saturn is in there. Um, but remember that the book covers, and the thing is, the book isn't even specifically a Sega of America book. Um, there's very little, actually, that overlaps, for example, like with, say, Console Wars, because I think Blake did such a good job of covering the management, the corporate side of that. The, the book focuses on product development, the actual creation of in-house games by studios at Sega and third-party studios contracted by Sega that, for games that Sega published. And the Saturn is there because there were quite a few games. For example, uh, Mr. Bones and Bug are both covered completely in depth in the book. Okay. Nice. and, and uh, Oh, sorry, George. I just wanted to ask. No, no, go, go ahead, go ahead. Since we're on that subject, does the Sega Pico get any play? And I asked that yeah. not like jokingly, but I actually really like the Sega Pico. <laughs> no, no, the, the Sega Pico um, is in there because that was not um, it was it's a Sega product, but it wasn't like a, a game console in the sense of the Genesis and the Saturn and the Master System and the Dreamcast. It wasn't okay. Like, so um, I wanted to to include that. I also didn't get to include specifically. 
the game gear is mentioned, but the game gear isn't covered in depth because most of the games that the game gear had were was either that were published by Sega were done in Japan or were ports of Genesis games. There weren't any standout games that were developed in-house exclusively by Sega for the Game Gear that I could include. But um, I've already been thinking about how to get the Game Gear in there, either in, a, in an expanded version or for a deep article uh, for Sega 16. Because I love the Game Gear, and it really kind of bothered me that I wasn't able to include it. Interesting. I was going to say, the book is going to be available digital, digital, right, and physically? Yeah, you should be, you'll be able to get it Amazon, Barnes & Noble's physically and digitally. It should and, be digital. Uh, I don't yeah. see any reason why they wouldn't have an ebook uh, version of it. And are you thinking of doing, like, I don't know, maybe a hardcover version, or is it going to be softcover, or is there any talks in, about the formats you're using to release it in? Um, that hasn't been finalized yet, but from the talks I've had with the publisher, it should be soft cover. Okay, because I know that like uh, some of these, uh, most of these books usually like they do a limited edition hardcover, and then they have the soft cover, and then they have a uh, all these versions. I was just wondering. Um, no, I think they'll just be a standard soft cover version. And uh, you talk to all these developers, who uh, which. Developer that you talked to would probably like from America was like made some of your favorite games and it was more of a kind of a special to you to kind of uncover all that stuff. Oh, well, let me see. Um, I have to say it was the Sega Technical Institute. I I got to to really explore Kid Chameleon. Uh, I got uh, Comic Zone, Sonic Spinball, and. Uh, couple of other games, and it was really nice to be able to go and, and talk, you know, with people I didn't get to talk to the, the previously, and to go and talk again with others about those, about those games, because um, that was my first experience, probably not, con that was my first conscious experience with American Sega games. I mean, we unknowingly played American Sega games before that. We didn't know who made them. We didn't know if the company was American, Japanese. We either didn't know or we just weren't paying attention. But that was the first time that I was actually took an interest in like, wow, this is an American studio. I want to know more about these people. And to be able to go back and explore that in more depth was, re was really, really nice. And um, one of my favorite uh, th interviews you had, I think I forgot who it was with, but you did a Comic Zone one uh, where it revealed new info. Is Comic Zone also in Vector Man, those kind of games, also part of uh, the book? Oh, yeah. Oh, that was with Peter Morayowick. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you showed I, the, the the Sega Saturn canceled game. I mean, I was I wanted to know more about that. I was all obsessed with yeah. uh, Comic Zone. Yeah, well, uh, Comic Zone is is in the book. Uh, the Ooze is also in the book uh, from from the Technical Institute. Uh, Vector Man. Uh, that is a whole chapter on Blue Sky, and uh, Vector Man's in there. Um, what else is there from Blue Sky? Oh, Jurassic Park. That's. Uh, been expanded and revised greatly. Both the Genesis and the Sega CD version of Jurassic Park are in there. Uh, World Series Baseball. There's a... Because um, I, I tried... What, the base of the book is broken down by developer. Each developer is a chapter. Okay, so, um, so they all get their own spotlight. Yeah. Very and good. it's chronologically. The thing is that uh, the, chronology, the chronology is kind of loose because of all, many of these... Studios were operating simultaneously, so um, basically I tried to include which one uh, in the order in which they were founded. So that's why you'll have like the book starts in 1986 and goes chronologically all the way to 2001. Okay, and uh, one more question. Well, my last question. Barry might have more. Uh, when are you thinking of putting the book on sale? I mean, is it gonna, just ballpark estimate? I know you don't have the 100% date. And how much are you? thinking it's going to cost? Um, well, it usually takes six to eight months for them to copy edit, typeset, and get everything ready. The book's already copy editing, so I'm guessing it hasn't been finalized yet, but I'm assuming that based on the timeline they gave me that it should be ready by August, September, perhaps. Okay. Around that, between July and September, I hope. And... Uh... 
Barry, you want to ask him anything? Yeah, actually, I wanted to... Um, thanks so much for talking about your book. I wanted to talk about Sega 16 oh, sure. uh, specifically. Um, and I'm sure George would have some questions, too. So you started the site, you said, 11 years ago, correct? 11 and a half years ago, yeah. In oh, June wow. of 2004. So what what was the Sega fan site climate like at that time? Were there any... Like, I guess... When I know when George was starting Sega Bits out, and when I came on too, we found that there was kind of a void for the type of fan site that we wanted, and so we kind of just made it. Did you did you have kind of a similar experience? Did you, or were there maybe sites that uh, inspired you that made you want to start writing? Well, the, in terms of Genesis sites, there was the Genesis Collective, the Genesis Products, uh, the Sega 16-bit web page. But these were, uh, they had like codes or they had a brief like one paragraph synopsis of, of a game and maybe a couple sentences telling you if they liked it or not. Nothing comprehensive. But the type of site I wanted to do, there were none for the Sega Genesis at the time. That I can recall. Hmm. I'm curious too. Um, you Your site's unique in that it has uh, so many reviews, but I feel like... A lot of these reviews, these are are these users submitted for the most part. Well, there's staff, there's contributing um, writers, there are people who aren't really staff but they contribute contribute on a semi-regular basis, and we've always accepted uh, reader submissions since we first started. Interesting, yeah, because I I recall whenever I would go out and like retro game shop a lot of the times there were so many obscure games I'd find on the shelf, I'd look online, no one has reviews except for maybe your site. Um, so it, it was very helpful. And then other times I'd find that someone would give a really bad review to a game, I'd put it back on the shelf. Years later I'd look at it and I'm like, you know, this game's actually really good. It's a shame that it got such a poor review on Sega 16. Well, one thing <laughs> I would like to do with the reviews is I would like to eliminate the review scores completely. And the only reason I haven't done that is because I think of going back and eliminating the reviews uh, for, for about 950 games. And I'm like, well, I don't really want to do that right now. <laughs> but, uh, right. I, I would really prefer that, uh, that the reviews just either just tell the reader, you know, is it worth checking out or not? You, know, you can decide if it's a classic, if it's mediocre, if it's just one and done. But is it worth checking out, or should you avoid it entirely? But the thing right. is, that we started out with the scores, and we built up such a large base. It's a problem now to go back and eliminate that. And I'd also have to go back and contact each and every contributor and ask them if they're willing to uh, leave their their review scores. My policy is that no matter how much I absolutely disagree with a review, and I can tell you there are some reviews that I look at the, the score, and I'm thinking, no way should that game be that high, or no way should that game be that low. But I don't think um, that it's a good idea to go and swap out a review because people don't like the score. Right. I think that instead of spending time on the internet arguing about why the guy who wrote it is wrong, you should just go and check out the game and play it. You know, um, if you don't agree with the review, that's why we have the comment section. If you don't agree with the review, look, rip the review apart. That's why I think in the, in the review manifest it says. Save your hate mail for the reviewer. If I review the game and I, you don't like the score, let me know in the comments. Go on the forum and rip it up. But I don't think it's a good idea to say, we should go and change this review for another one because this guy scores wrong. Because reviews are subjective. Right. Of course, I agree with 100%. Right, yeah. I mean, one thing I found, um, too, is that... or I mean, I, Actually, I was wondering if you felt this way. Is, you know, like when games first come out... You know, back in back in the '80s, back in the '90s, they were fifty, sixty, seventy dollars. You know, if someone were to tell me, "Hey, is Back to the Future Part Three for the Genesis worth your money?" I'd say, "Hell no." But oh, I yeah. mean, looking back now, you know, you look at some of these games and you find them on a shelf, cartridge only, five bucks. And then I'd say, "Yeah, check it out if you're a Back to the Future fan." Do you feel that time and maybe even price has affected review scores? Just kind of in in the whole retro-reviewing sort of mentality? I think the collectability of games now has affected it. I think that there are people who will tell you that you should check out a game because the game is value, it's worth money. And, they, and you, I, I mean, I have games that 
Uh, somebody I'm reading on the forums and tell me, for example, Double Dragon for the Sega Genesis. Oh, that's a $60 game. And I'm like, it is? Why the hell would anyone pay $60 for that game? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's everything about it. The, the, the best way to play that game on the Genesis is a hack that you can download where they lower, they slow the game down to play, you know, that it's not on crack. But the actual Genesis cartridge, I mean, why would anyone pay this, that amount of money for that game? Because it's rare. You should get it because it's rare. I don't think that that should be a factor in, in scoring a game. You know, because there are a lot of rare games that are great, and there are a lot of games that are great that are you could pick up for... I, I, the Game Gear is the perfect example. I mean, you can buy loose Game Gear games you know, for less than the, the, the price of a Whopper combo. You know, and just because they're, they're cheap doesn't mean they're not good. And there are a lot of games that are very expensive that are not worth they weren't worth the actual retail price when they came out, let alone what, the, what they're asking for now. So right. I think the collectability has kind of infected that and tainted it a little bit that people try to factor that into the reviews. I think that, that and also another thing that tends to factor is, into it is when people say, well, back in the day, and they re- re- review the game based on when it first came out. You can't do that now. There's no way you can review Gunstar Heroes today and convey the the the, love, the amazement people had when they first saw that game because that game has technologically been surpassed already and you can mention it but you can't hinge your review on that because people who have never seen the game before and grew up on PlayStation Xbox and 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 uh, Wii or 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 the DS they're not going to be amazed in the same way you know but a lot of people even the younger people although a lot of younger people are really getting into retro gaming which is great. But if they're not aware of the technological limits of the console, they're not going to look at that and say, oh, that's amazing for a game that's 20 years old, necessarily. So yeah. you, you talk to a lot of uh, Sega fans. I mean, you have the forum that's really active. I mean, I have an account, and it's already like a decade old. I joined in 2006. Um, I was going to say, um, have you, has, there any, has there ever been like a discussion on a game that's like, I guess people always say it's one of the best Sega Genesis games, and you're like, no, that's, that's overrated. Oh. Like, has there been a game that's been, like, universally kind of, like, liked or has, like, cult status, and you think that maybe some of these people never really played the game, and, like, it's just, they're just overrating it? Um, for the Sega Genesis? Come on. I, I mean, feel like George has a game in mind. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying. I can, I can think of, uh, for the Sega CD, I can think of one. But one comes to mind very quickly, and that's Heel Flying Squadron. Oh, and there's, and you think that game is uh, overrated, or you just think it's not as highly praised? It shouldn't be as highly praised as it is. I think it's kind of overrated. I mean, it's not a bad game at all. It's a, it's a good game, but it's, I don't, I don't know. I, I have it. I played it, and I just wasn't as, you know, I, I would rather play Android Assault or, or um, even Silphied. I just don't, don't see the, the. You know, I, maybe it's because I'm not into cute ups and things like that, but but I just don't see the game being as great as a lot, a lot of people make it out to be. It's a great, it's a good game, but but as great as a lot of people say it is, I don't know. That's my personal opinion. I I think opinions sometimes on Sega games are skewed by people, like the fans. Like I don't like if I go on forums sometimes and they'll talk about like I don't know. Let's say Panzer Dragoon Saga, thirty thousand copies made in the U.S. You think everybody that praises the game on comment sections really play the game, or they just tell yeah. people that it's a good game? Well, it's so, like Burning Rangers is another example that's in the same boat as Panzer Dragoon Saga. It had that limited run, and a lot of people they look that they. I've I've met so many people. I've talked with so many people who have given that game just they just completely just given it a thumbs down or just. Oh no, that game looks like crap. Just based on YouTube videos, you know. And I'm like, you have to play the game. Yes, it's a 3D uh, action platformer with a single analog stick that is very difficult to get into today, perhaps. But I mean, that's a game that I think that doesn't get enough love. I think the concept is a, so original. Jet Grind Radio, Jet Set Radio Future. Those are games that the concept alone, being so original, I think merits. You, it's a, you have to play it. You can't just look at a video 
and get a, 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 a the full picture. You have to actually mm-hmm. play the game. Yeah, I see. You're actually you're touching on something that I notice a lot now is um, the reliance on let's plays and playthroughs, and people almost use that as they've experienced the game. They've they they don't say they've played it, but you know you see people and they say, yeah, I watched the game grumps. I watched the entire playthrough of the game. You know, it was like nine hours of video. Oh, and they, is, they, my, is this is yeah. this a hard hard thing for you to <laughs> in the modern? Yeah, my era? my my kids. My kids, they'll watch uh, Markiplier and they'll watch Diamond Minecart, and they're they. She, my daughters love them, and I'm like, they're just dudes playing video games. And I'm not taking anything away from them. I mean, PewDiePie makes what four million dollars a month for playing video games. I mean, more power to him. If I wish I could do that, but I'm thinking like you're watching him play this game. You know, you could download and play that game. No, no, I like watching the video. You'd rather watch somebody play the game than play it yourself. When I was a kid, you did that when you didn't have any money at the arcade. That's when you watched other people play <laughs> because you didn't have any money to play. Right. You know? I noticed it's it's really it's kind of this idea of um, the celebrity where it's it's not so much the game they're playing but the person who's playing it. And something that I've always respected about your site is that the games and the the history and the content comes first. You know, it's not like I'm visiting uh, Crazy Ken's Corner and I'm like, oh, look what he's up to this time, you know. It's, um, I mean, to be quite honest, it wasn't until you really started talking about this book in uh, interviews with other people and being a little more vocal about it that I became aware of who was behind Sega 16. So, um, not to say that like I'm out of the loop, but it's just like when I came to your site, I came to your site for the content, not because, you know, it's Let's see Ken make some funny faces at uh, Ghostbusters or something. <laughs> I don't know. No, let's see. That, that's that's. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> but that that's what that's basically what I, I'm trying to go for. Um, um, as someone who who teaches research for a living, you know, teaches language for a living, I kind of find it find it hard to to get that. To be able to convey that in a way that um, people are going to react to the same way they would react to someone like, say, PewDiePie, you know, like again, not to take anything away from it, just that they're two, two different types of two totally different types of content. And um, I've always the whole goal, my whole goal behind Sega 16 was always to to tell the story of the games. You don't need to have um, crazy designs, or you don't need to have um, funny jokes all the time if the content is good enough. That's like I said, when we first started, I did the whole thing by hand in, in Macromedia Dreamweaver, and the design was as ghetto as you can get. It was horrible. But I was hoping that if the content was good enough, people would forgive that and stick around for the for the, for the the actual article. And that's what I've always been trying to do, trying to get give people, you know, so that they can read about a game and say, Oh, that's why that happened, or that's how that game was made. That's that's the goal. That's always been the goal. Now, something I've noticed too um, on your site, you've recently expanded. It wasn't always Genesis Master System 32X CD Game Gear. Um, what what was the? I guess what brought you to wanting to cover more of this? And do you ever have plans to move beyond to Saturn and Dreamcast and Pico? Even though you won't <laughs> you won't cover Pico. <laughs> Well, no. Well, we could. Um, I don't don't uh, discount or I don't. Uh, uh, I won't knock down the idea of maybe one day uh, including Pico. No, I have no hate towards the Pico per se. <laughs> I'm just I'm just playing. <laughs> but um, well, we got to the point where the overwhelming majority of Genesis games, uh, we had reviewed them. We reviewed all the 32x games. 32x games. We have a very solid selection of reviews for Sega CD, um, and most of the ones that we have left to review, I think, are mostly Japanese titles, uh, lots of RPGs. But in Genesis, we've covered, uh, I'd say, about two-thirds, not a little bit more than that, of the overall library. So I figured, um, I did, I've always wanted to cover as much Sega as possible, but I always wanted to keep the game, since what we do is something that's that's so specific. I didn't want to try and tackle so many consoles at, at one one time. I figured 
let's do the Genesis, Sega CD, and 32X first. And once we have most of that, then we can add a little bit more. And then once we cover most of that, then we can add a little bit more. So once we have, we added Game Gear and Master System, the 8-bit machine. And I figure that once we have most of the libraries for those games, which aren't that large at all, um, which is why I chose to add them first, I figured. And also because they're kind of indirectly directly tied. Right, you can play Master System games on your Powerbase converter, and uh, the Sega Game Gear can play Master System games. And the Game Gear came out during the Genesis era, so um, I right. think once, yeah. we have, once we have those libraries covered, then we will definitely add Saturn. And then when we go through the majority of Saturn, we'll add Dreamcast as well. And after we do that, we might even add Sega Post uh, hardware. Oh wow, we have a long wow. road ahead of you for sure. But I, I remember when we started the when I started the website, a friend of mine told me that writing about the Genesis, I would run out of things to say in about two years. <laughs> yeah, you call <laughs> them up and tell them, tell them that you're still going. Yeah, it, it, it's taken. It took me ten years to add. Uh, it's been about a year since we added Master System Game Gear, but we're still talking about uh, the Genesis. I mean, right now. Um, I have an interview, another interview uh, that's going to be posted in the next couple of weeks, and an article about uh, Art and Senna, Arts and Senna and the Super Monaco GP2, and uh, behind the design on Chacon. So I'm still writing articles about the Sega Genesis, and 11 years down the road. So uh, you're ever going to launch your uh, your TurboGrafx-16 website? No, I think the, now you have a you have PC PC Engine FX, I think is the name of the site, and and you have sites that are are that have come across come up in in the last decade or so. You know, I think every console should have every console should have a Sega 16. Every console should have an Atari Age. You know, I mean, I'm amazed that with the rabid fan base that this like for example the Super Nintendo has, there is no Super Nintendo 16. You know, or I'm amazed that someone hasn't said, you know, I'm going to do that for for Nintendo. I would love to see that. Yeah, I'm curious, what uh, kind of underappreciated or even hated piece of hardware out there do you think you'd really love to see a site dedicated to that doesn't have one yet? Well, I, I think... don't know. I think uh, the 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 Vectrix has, the ColecoVision has. Thinking that's underappreciated. TurboGrafx has Jaguar has Atari. How about the Philips CDI? I don't know. Is the Philips CDI actually underappreciated? <laughs> I don't know. I think, it's, I think it's appreciated just right. <laughs> no, no appreciation. No. Um, oh, I was gonna say this is my last question, but uh, I'm gonna. What do you prefer, Sega Genesis or Mega Drive as a name? Uh, I guess I'm kind of partial to Genesis because that's where I grew up with, but uh, I like the Mega Drive name, and I when they were talking about the Saturn and the rumors that it was going to be called the Giga Drive, I think that sounded pretty cool. Um, I think Mega Drive, looking at it now, Mega Drive is, is uh, giving that Sega with the Master System had two mega power and four mega power, and Megas were a big thing back then. I think that Mega Drive actually is a cooler sounding name. Okay, I agree with that. I actually grew up with the Genesis too, but I like the way the Mega Drive sounds. I guess it's one of those grass is always greener on the other side things. Yeah, I just dis I just hate nowadays everything. Every single time I type about either the Mega Drive or the Genesis, I gotta write both names in a little slash. It's so annoying because yeah. I, I get I get UK fans jumping down my throat. <laughs> I mean, I had that at the beginning, but because it's like, oh, you're just uh, you're ignoring, you know, that it was called the Mega Drive. But the thing is that I, I never started Sega 16 and, and, and identified it as the Genesis or, or covered things from an American perspective because I'm biased towards Sega of America. It's because, I mean, I lived in the U.S. I grew up with that. I, I, I remember I got the Genesis in 1990, and I was there all the way on from that. That's what I saw. I saw it from the American perspective, and that's just, you know, the, 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 the lens through which I'm looking at it. But... It's not like I, I'm. I don't. I'm calling it the Genesis. No, Mega Drive fans. I mean, I grew up in the U.S. I'm Ameri I'm an American. I call it a Genesis. That's just you know. <laughs> yeah. Good point. 
I was gonna say, um, you want to tell everybody uh, when you know to where to follow you for more information on the book. You know, while it gets closer to release date. Well, I'm I'm posting updates on our Facebook page, uh, Sega Sixteen, um, as they come, um, and uh, Twitter Sega Sixteen as well. If it goes, well, if I put an update on Facebook, it'll come up on Twitter as well. I haven't written up an article or anything for the the website because I, nothing's finalized yet. But I want to make sure that I have all the details so I can go and make a comprehensive uh, preview to show people what to expect. But as I get updates about like the price, I, I estimate the book shouldn't be more than about thirty bucks if it's soft cover, um, yeah. given the size. But um, when I have that finalized, I update that on the Facebook page. So um, if we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. We have a YouTube channel, but basically the YouTube channel up to now is just me posting pickups and things like that because I have a capture card and I have a great camera and the book. Because I, I was doing the book at the same time I'm doing my doctoral dissertation. So I'm writing these two documents at the same time. And that left almost no time for me to do videos. I would love to go and do videos for the YouTube channel, but I just didn't have the time. So now that the book's out of the way, I finish up the dissertation, get that out of the way, and then I can dedicate more time to the YouTube channel. But for updates, you'll see uh, uh, updates as they come on the Facebook page. And you could also uh, check more of his stuff out at Sega minus sign, I think, right? 16.com? Or is it Sega? Yeah, right. Yeah. Hyphen, or dash. Hyphen. Is that what it's it called? Or you can just Google yeah, search um, Sega 16. Yeah, if you put Sega 16, it'll be the first thing that comes up. Um, you can check out our, our interviews, which I think are the website's calling card. That's, I think, our strongest feature. The reviews, uh, the articles. Check out the forums. Enjoy the forums. You have a good modding community, uh, a homebrew community. Uh, so it's a great uh, resource. I like to think of it as something that is beneficial for the, the Sega community because as a Sega fan, we know that, you know, like they say, history is written by the victors, so um, it's important to, to make sure that history's, that Sega's role in history is accurately portrayed and documented. And well, Ken, thank you so much for speaking with us. You're, uh, you're a legend in the Sega community for sure, and I'm... I was looking forward to your book before, but now I'm really looking forward to your book after hearing about what it's going to be all about. Buy five copies. Oh, I'll buy it. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one for uh, one for the bathroom, one for the living room, one for your yeah, room. Yeah, that's right. Have it. Have a copy so you can debunk the Super Nintendo fanboys online. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thanks. Like, I would like to see someone do a version of this book for. Super Nintendo. I think, like I said, there's uh, there's just so much still in gaming that hasn't been told. I think, and it all deserves to be brought up. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. And hey, you know, once the uh, book is uh, nearing release, or once it releases, we'd love to have you back on, and we can just sit here with our uh, our books open and discuss some uh, some uh, pages that we folded over, or put a little uh, sticky note on. Sure, sure. Be happy to. Well, thank you so much again. And it's Sega 16. You can search them online. You can find them uh, on your address bar. It's very easy to use the internet these days. You'll find them. And they're on almost every major social network. So, Ken, thank you so much again. And take care. Thank you. You too. Segabits is a fan site that is not in any way officially affiliated with Sega. Sonic the Hedgehog and all Sega-related trademarks are copyright Sega. All other featured trademarks are the property of their respective owners. 
Don't forget to check out SegaBits.com, and you can find us on all major social networks. Just search SegaBits. 